Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside your race or comfort zone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of United Voice Oklahoma podcast. We are your host, Waylon Cubitt, and I'm Cece Jones Davis. Welcome back. We're glad that you have been enjoying the podcast. Uh, we've gotten a lot of reviews. Remember to always like it, share it, and rate it. That's what we need you to do so we can we continue need. doing. We need the feedback. And if you have suggestions on who might be a good conversation, I, I think we'll take that, too. This week on the podcast, our guest is Ron Stidham. Ron lives here in Oklahoma City with his wife, and we know him from his leadership role of Hope for Generations. This is a ministry over on Northwest Oklahoma City that focuses on mentoring young people who are uh, low on resources and experiencing multiple challenges. I've met him over in that area, over in the, in the Lyrewood area. Ron does fantastic work in that role, but there is so much more to this man's passion and his calling. He describes himself as someone who entire life, whose entire life has been a tightrope between the two worlds of black Christians and white Christians, mm. which is probably why you've been asked to come uh, and visit with us and kind of share with us on that. He is not shy about sharing his experience and views when it comes to race in our community and what he deals with every single day. So uh, we are very, very excited to have him on United Voice Oklahoma podcast today. Ron, welcome. Thanks, Ron. Thank you for having me. I feel like I need to do the the typical visitor at a black church where you're like, you know, I give honor to God. Yeah, there you go. Yes, sir. Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Pastor CC. I come from the pastor, the, the pastor, so-and-so deacon, so-and-so doctor, so-and-so. Right? Yeah, yeah. You can do that if you want to, but we're just going to laugh at you and probably edit it out. You know, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> but Ron, so thank you so much for being here. I understand that we have a really good connection in one person. We're always just one relationship away mm -hmm. from being deeply connected. Mm -hmm. And Lee Rowland. Lee Rowland's a, my dude. And he is your dude. Is that right? Absolutely. How do you know how do you know Lee? I met Lee through Help for Generations. He is a board member. He has been a board member since it started a little over going on six years now. Okay. I was asked to be a part of Hope for Generations and I I, I met this older bald black guy who I just had no clue what to expect from him. They said he was a principal, which already <laughs> had me like, mm, right. I don't know about this guy. Uh, but then since then, he's really become like a second father to me who I, who at the time I had no idea that I, that I needed, but, uh, it's been a fantastic voice. That's all I can tell you about that. Right. <laughs> that's right. I that's know. I know how it is. Yeah, that's the title of his book. Yep. So, right. so tell us a little bit briefly about your upbringing and tell us a little bit about yourself. I grew up in, I've been born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. I moved here in 2011 to work, start working at Tinker as an electrical engineer. Hmm. I I got the, the phone call two weeks to, to let me know, hey, you know, you start in two weeks, you need to move here. And Oklahoma City was somewhere I had no family. I didn't know anybody here. Really? So when you're trying to pack up and move in two weeks, you know, you got to. So I, I ended up in 
some apartments on a place called Lyrewood Lane, which is a long way from the base. It's a 40-minute commute. And I did Now, Northwest Expressway, like in law enforcement, we call that the North Death Expressway. (laughs) I mean, it is like like crazy driving the traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to mention whenever there's a wreck there, it's not a fender bender. It's like a major wreck every Mm. time you do there. And then because of the traffic and the wreck, it takes forever to get around the wreck. Yes. Right. So, yeah, you moved a long way from where you needed to be every single day. I don't know how that happened. It's in Kansas. No, it is not. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I, you know, I, would, I was living there and didn't think anything of it. It's a long commute. I figured I'd be there until the lease is over, then move closer to the base. Uh, then I met and met some people at church, and I told them where I lived, and they're kind of like, Wirewood? Like, why are you... Why are you live on Wirewood? And again, I just I just didn't think anything of it. And then through church, I got involved with uh, a van ministry, which led to Hope for Generations, and I started to meet all these kids who they also lived on Wirewood, and we were taking them to an affluent white church. Uh, so, r- rewinding to my upbringing, I'm the my both grandfathers are pastors. My both grandmothers are missionaries. My dad is a pastor. Like that's I, I grew up in the large the, the largest black denomination in in the country. Uh so but then when I was my grandfather died when I was a senior in high school, he was a pastor. And then the change of leadership was very unappealing to me. I it it really turned me off to church altogether. Right. Uh, so I I didn't go to go to church all throughout college, mm-hmm. uh, but then I moved here and one of the first things I wanted to do was find a church home. I didn't care oh. about denomination. So you weren't out on church. You were out on that church. I was at first. I was out on church. Mm-hmm. Like okay. if, if if I couldn't attend the church that I if I couldn't attend the church that. Uh, I grew up in. I wasn't interested in going to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I moved to Oklahoma City, I I thought. I, I need to get back into church, okay. uh, and I, I was didn't care about the dom- denomination. I actually started going to a uh, an evangelical church, which so I I grew up in a Pentecostal church, which is you know jumping, hollering, speaking in tongues, fire. everything. Yeah. The uh-huh. you know I, I saw a lady who used to walk on a walker, throw the walker aside, <laughs> and like do a praise. Like I, I've seen it all. Uh-huh. Then the the church, first church I started coming here. There's no music. I was the only black person in the in the building, as opposed to how I grew up. Again, right. everybody was black, uh, and it was everyone was really nice to me. It, it was um, have you if you've ever seen a piece of food get thrown on an ant hill and just the ants just swarm on right, it? That's kind of right. how it was. Okay. Yeah. And the only black person <laughs> diversity has yeah, arrived. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I was there for a few months, and then at the new church that. I uh, got involved with Hope for Generations. Uh, so in that, uh, you know, I'm you know I'm seeing all these you know young black kids. They're you know they're not going to church with their parents, which that's completely foreign to how I grew up. We're taking them to church where everybody there is white, and I just it it was it was just a lot of interesting experiences that I had in that, uh, and I kind of. I think at first I was really just blind to why 
some of those situations were happening. We can probably talk about those. I was later. gonna say, I was gonna say, you are being real nice. <laughs> you are being real nice. I can see you being careful. <laughs> we will protect you, right, okay. Cece? Yeah. Like I'm a police back. officer. Oh, I got you. <laughs> we, we, we we protect you. Not gonna let the ants come. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, what were some of those experiences like? Taking some of those kids from the neighborhood on Lyrewood, African American kids, lower socioeconomic into uh, this very different type of praise and worship experience? One of the the kids that we brought, they were always referred to as the van kids. The even, van kids. The van kids. They were, even the kids who got baptized, it was never the kids, our kids. It was always the van kids. Even the black kids who came to the church but didn't ride the van were still van kids. So it became kind of like, the, the kids were very aware of that distinction that was getting mm-hmm. made. Uh, but probably the most frustrating moment happened when, uh, you know, the kids that we bring, they're all unchurched. And, you know, at evangelical churches, everyone's, you know, straight-laced. It's reserved. The kids, if they get bored, like, they and they're going to get up. bored, right. Right. They're, they're going to cut up. And one one gentleman after church service came and said, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but these kids don't belong here. Man. And when he said that, uh, it was, so I'm trying to remember, hey, I'm a professional black guy. Like, I can't, and I'm trying to model what it looks like to be a Christian for these kids who may not have that influence in their life. Uh, when he said that, the... <laughs> I wanted to mash his face. In. Right. Yeah. Right. But you you, you can't. You. Uh, so, I feel fortunately, that. there were a few other church members who came in and intervened after he said. And he he went. He told me all his thoughts for a couple. Like it was probably a couple minutes. He didn't use any. He didn't say the n word or. He didn't say black kid like nothing like that. It was just it. it Did was, he use the Bible as his weapon? Not me. it was just his personal. It was they they got in the way of his personal ex- worship experience, and they were they were a bother to him, all that kind of stuff. Now I think it's important to put this in context of time. So what year? Let's are see. We talking that would have been maybe 2013. Okay, uh, which. It was. It probably. It may have even been around the same time as Trayvon Martin, like the the mm. case. Because I know, I know for me, that was when I started to become a lot more aware of racial issues. Uh, just up up until then, I like I had blinders on. I uh, so so when that case happened, I like I was scared. I was legit scared to wear a hoodie. Uh, you know, just growing up, you you know about the. What not to wear, you know, not to wear too much red, not to wear too much blue. Like I know the attire that'll keep me safe. Right. But then one of my favorite, I'm wearing a hoodie now. One of my favorite accessories is now on that list. And I remember trying to talk to people in my church about like, man, like I, like, and and Trayvon Martin looked like my cousin Bruce. Mm -hmm. And I, and that makes it hit that much more. Uh, And just not being able to talk. So there was already like a bit of a, a, maybe a, frustration for me already but then for then for that to happen and uh and there was never any correction towards that guy from leadership it was just all like a few random members who just happened to walk by one of the 
members of leadership saw it happening and walked by. Uh, didn't didn't say anything to the guy. I have no idea. He he may have said something later. I don't know. Right. Uh, but that was that was the first time that the kid. It may be be the last time that the kid saw tears coming from my eye because I had that you know like those angry those tears. angry tears where yeah. Um, and I was like, let's go. Yeah. And <laughs> every other time, if I say let's go, the kids like they kind of like straggle. It, it must have been some They're of like, my voice because they on the would, van and let's go. Right. <laughs> they knew. Yeah. Right. They have that that ability to pick up on on things like that. So what, what was the response? I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was, no, no. I was no. What ask. was the response from who? Well, the church. Like we know the immediate response, but what? How do we fix it? Did you exit the church? Did you try? Did you see this opportunity to transform the church? Is to speak to the church? Was the was the conversation to speak to the kids? How do where do we go from this this moment? From from there, I be I began to get a little bit more outspoken just on racial issues in general on on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything. So nothing in regards to that situation at the church, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. You uh, stayed the church. You stayed doing the van. We, we we stayed at that church for a few more years. Okay. Uh, maybe if well anyway. <laughs> uh, but we so we stayed at that church for a few more years. But in that time, I started to get a little bit more outspoken about racial issues, and I I really felt like b- before I started talking about racial issues, I was I feel like I was almost pushed to the to the front of the line of the 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 cool kids. The you know I, I probably got access to more resources and and privileges than most people would. For example. Our uh, when me and my me and my wife met at this church, we got married in this church. Our wedding, uh, we didn't pay for it. We didn't. Someone, a member of the church, made us a cake for free. Mm. We they didn't charge us for the venue. We we broke even on our wedding, thanks to thanks to uh, the church. But uh, but just uh, but you know and, and so I started getting more vocal about racial issues on Facebook, and I noticed some of that. Like, it seemed like I would. It seemed like people were pulling back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I started getting a little bit more pushback in person as well as on social media, and it just really started to turn into a thing. Is it? Is it? This is interesting because I think a lot of people get their weight up. Like they got they get brave on Facebook and other social media, but in the in their physical presence. You don't get that. It was this was this one of the cases where I, you know, I'm not comfortable saying it uh, and dealing with it to their face because it's going to be some uh, the the repercussions might not only affect me and my wife, but it might also affect who I serve, the people, the kids on the van. But I'm gonna tell them when I get home on the on, on when I get to Facebook. <laughs> if they if they follow me, they are gonna get it. Is it one of those? No, no, it, it, so it didn't start off that way. Uh, <laughs> at, at first, it was you know something happened. You, you know Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. Like you know, man, this is messed up. How could you, you, how could this happen? Right. And then, well, we don't know all the facts, and you know they they start doing all on that. Facebook. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it started off as just me talking about society as a whole. I wasn't mm-hmm. talking about any specific individuals, no one even local, really. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was still getting all that pushback. And uh, and then it, man, just like it really just started to feel weird uh, and to the point where people who I had considered to be brothers and sisters were starting to, those relationships were starting to change. And even they started to 
treat and talk to me a little different than than they mm-hmm. did before. So it almost seemed like as long as I was the the face of what they what they thought what they wanted to represent, like it was all cool. Mm-hmm. But then once I started to talk speak about, to issues, speak right. to issues, and and you know, the, I've, I've found that a lot because um, I've spent most of my adult life life in white, um, predominantly white evangelical space. Um, that you know, <clears throat> you're cool and good as long as you're a certain kind of black person, mm-hmm. right? But once you, once there becomes um, evidence that you are um, not not quite fit into the category or fit the the mold of blackness that's comfortable for white people once once you bec- become verbal vocal um about your own awareness about what it is to be black in society or what are the things that concern you or bother you about what's going on in your own community once you start talking at all about issues of race or racism then then you're no longer you no longer fit neat and perfectly within the construct that's been built for you there and that's very that in my experience that has been very very uncomfortable. So I can really relate to that. You know, I've lost lots of after Trayvon Martin. You know, all bets were off for me. You know what I <laughs> now, mean? Is and it, that tell me because I think we talked about this. Yeah. At least I heard you talk about this, and it'd be interesting to hear you. You say, were you expecting the church to address Trayvon Martin? Were you expecting a a community response? From the church, I think so. That you never got. In retrospect, I think I was. Were you? For Trayvon, no. Later events, yes. Uh huh. Trayvon, it, it was definitely Trayvon for me because I felt like once that verdict came out, like this was a guy who was not, um, who was minding his own business, who everybody could can see and understand that this guy was not posing a, a threat. He was a kid with some Skittles and some tea, no mm-hmm. weapon. He just had a hoodie on walking down the sidewalk. And I thought for sure that people would, once that verdict of not guilty came down, I thought for sure the people that I worshipped with and, and did life with in a very close um, proximity would understand on some level the, the slap in the face, the pain of that. Um, and what I what I realized was that I don't care how many times we prayed together. I don't care how many times we've been into each other's houses. I don't care how many times we sing the same worship song over and over again, and we know you know the soprano and I know the alto. It it wasn't about that. That that there was a there was a deeper uh, understanding of who we are as human beings and our experiences in the world that we are completely disconnected from. Mm-hmm. And and um, it, it, what, what, it came, what came across to me was that the people that I worshiped with didn't care. Like it just did not, you know, that we don't know all the facts or we weren't there. Like those people like use those kinds of fra- phrases to totally um, minimize the the this experience this pain that is not just Trayvon Martin but a historical occurrence mm. like over and over again and so that for me personally was like listen I I want to work I want to worship with everybody I want to worship with white people but I cannot worship the same mm-hmm. wow so has that been your experience so you blog about this stuff yes yeah so tell me about that <laughs> uh, so few year few years ago uh, Carrie Sowers 
she she heard she John and Carrie. Yep. yep. She was she would see what I would say on Facebook and she said, Ron, you have a book in you. And that that may have been the first time that I remember someone affirming the the skill that I I have writing. So uh, and interestingly the blog, it really came out a few years after I would have liked it to. I had to hold off because a donor at the time was not comfortable with me sharing with me talking about race. He really didn't like they really didn't like what I was doing on Facebook, but I think they were willing to give me a pass sorta, but this year that that donor pulled back their support. So one of the first things I did was start my blog because that was the only reason I wasn't doing it before. I would love, Mm -hmm. man, I wish you had one of those posts from Facebook that got to to share with us. You you can find one. You remember one off the top of your head? That really got folks upset. Who? Well, (laughs) I I know. The flavor of it. Okay. (laughs) I know the, the main one that really got, and I didn't even say it, it was my wife, but we were, we were talking about the, you know, trying to help our 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 white friends understand what it's how the relationship of black people with the police. No, we do not. We we believe that most pol- most police officers are good people, but we don't know if it's one out of a hundred who's bad. We don't know if that's the one who pulled us over. So, in trying to help them understand that that fear, she she mentioned. It's, it's kind of like, you, you know, at that at that point in time, there was still that fear of Muslim terrorists. Mm-hmm. And it, every hopefully they all understand that not every Muslim person, there are billions of Muslims. <laughs> they are not all terrorists. Right. And for, for them, they, they seem to really understand they, they they still fear Muslims. A lot of them still fear Muslims. So like, hey, hey, for us. The police off. There's that. There's that same uncertainty when mm-hmm. we encounter them, mm-hmm. and that you would. You would have. To them, we were calling police officers terrorists. Terrorists. Yeah. We weren't. Right. Uh, and t- to me, it w- it was really just kind of confusing that that jump that leap was even made. Then, it s- some of the things that people get upset about is really. I've been told by some people they don't like it when I say white people. That that is offensive to like I just don't and so so it's it's really there's no particular post that's really coming to mind I could you know, look mm-hmm. one yeah, up no, no no uh, no but but yeah but there, we get the flavor I get mm-hmm. the flavor of what you're talking about but I also want to say that I picked up on the fact that you said I had a conversation with my white friends meaning that there you have a reference place that mm-hmm. with friends mm-hmm. that you can actually express yourself without yeah. fear of funding being pulled or fear of, of, of losing the van or that or, or having to cry in front of the people that I mentor from the pain this caused from this reaction. You have friends, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're not really doing this in a in, in a silo. Mm-hmm. The fact that you that you have someone like uh, Carrie Sowers, white woman, that looks at these challenging posts and says, "This is a book, not not this is some this is something you ought to be sharing mm-hmm. to encourage you. You're not getting this at uh, the barbershop 
that we know <laughs> white people don't go to because they can't get the haircut there, right? You're sharing, you're not in a silo. You're doing this in a community of diverse people. So yeah. So you, you have some experience of navigating white spaces then. Yes. Yeah. My entire life, every school I've gone to has been Especially, I, w- I was always in advanced math and sciences, so in class, it would be me, maybe one other black kid, and then 20 to 25 white kids. So, and I got used to being in that, and almost to the point where it's it's almost, I'm almost feel, out, feel like I'm out of place when it's majority black people, just because mm-hmm. I, I have been... So every school, all classes, I had, I went, I did go through a time in my senior year of high school where I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to, and it, it, it kind of stinks because I felt like I had to intentionally get into a lower level math class in order to be around people who look like me, which was, that was some flaw thinking that I had in the time and something that I've had to, to learn and grow in and myself uh, since then, but uh, but yeah, yeah, college, ev- everywhere except for home and then church. Growing up, I'm around white people. At right. at work, there are 150 people in our office. Maybe, maybe 10 of them are black. I've been mistaken for all the other black dudes. Even the, <laughs> even the guy who was 150 pounds heavier than me. Right. Um, which that one like kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I'm, work, you know, there's a lot of Asians who, you know, that's, you know, I'm really familiar with a lot of aspects of their culture, but but yes, everywhere and and they're in the, some of them are so comfortable in their their their, all the the racist thinking that I I you you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that I've heard at work like working at at an Air Force base, I mean, there was one guy who s- sat right across the hall from me, uh, b- about as close to as you and I are. He said, "You know, I don't, I don't think slaves were, were really treated that bad. I mean, if you had a tool, would you, would you mistreat that tool?" And I'm like, oh, wow. "Yeah, no, okay, so <laughs> right, that is like when you think about it. There's a there's a whaling cubit that was." 17, 16, 15 years old that get to be ready to fight after that. Like <laughs> like ready to fight. And and now all that that still hits that button, but I know that's the, the improper response and there's an opportunity there. Yeah. What do you do with that? Do you like you're a writer? So like I know writers, they like, I'm gonna slay this, I'm gonna slay this, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not right here. <laughs> right. But you might stoke it a little bit to get more for writing. How do you but how do you fix it? Like how do you educate that person in the spot? That person, uh, he's an older guy. He's about to retire. There's really, I don't want to believe that no one is past redemption, but I, I, for for someone to say something like that, uh, a it depends. I, I depend on the context for him. I just didn't even, just didn't even bother. Just you not think even. you probably because of maybe he's the, the so there's those people on the on the far edges. Of thinking mm. that you just don't really spend your time mm. with because you're just gonna be in, okay, and he's one of those people. And he he's really he's really loud. Um, this is about as loud as I'm gonna get. 
but then there then there are the others who I might I, I might ask them a few questions, a few leading questions mm-hmm. to to help them understand really how how at at best they sounded stupid, at worst they they sounded flat out racist. Okay. And uh, trying to so sometimes I just try to help them figure out where they are along that spectrum. So if he's doing that, if that's happening, and I know this is a little bit off, but I want to know how do we how am I supposed to deal with my manager that that is allowing comments like that? How do I what's the how do you survive over time where management and the culture is not really dealing with that? I think I have just been con- really conditioned to survive, and I, I don't think I could be an engineer if I couldn't survive in those kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a really good point. I don't. Wow. I don't think I could survive at a predominantly white church if I if I couldn't survive if I could. If you responded to everything. Yeah, I just just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think and it, so. And it's kind of funny just thinking about all the different childhood experiences that it really feels like it equips you, especially for. Prote- particular circumstances which I which is part of the reason I do feel like it's important for me to continue to share because I do feel like I've been especially equipped to do this like I I I still I intentionally go to a predominantly white church mainly because in northwest Oklahoma City there are no black churches right right. I remember trying to go you still live in Lyrewood we still make that drive we we (laughs) we live about a mile and a half North, northwest of Lyrewood, and it. So me, me and my wife, when we were looking for a house, we are we are so committed to the Lyrewood area that we we wanted a house on Lyrewood when we were buying a house. Even after we knew everything there is to know, we still wanted a house on there because the. And it's kind of funny because the the people on Lyrewood they were probably the first people who, I, other than my family in my life, who I felt like. They they embraced Ron Stidham as he was. I mm-hmm. didn't feel like I needed to put on any pretenses or anything. Like I could just be me. Right. And and because of and because of that, like man, if I everything I can and will do for for that community, I will. Uh, which is why I've continued continued to to work do what I can through Hope for Generations to uh, just minister to the people over there because I I do see a lot of hope. With them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a good, I think, segue. I want to know more about Hope Journal. I went there one time. Uh, yeah, we were there. We talked to. I think it was probably a room full of young men. But tell me what you're doing. Uh, what's the hope for that? What 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 are the goals? And then what you need? I like to. I love love to hear what the need for for mentoring. We, we have two programs that meet throughout the week. We have a mentoring program that is geared towards middle school students. We want to. They're, they're all kids who have been identified by some adult in their life as having leadership potential. Whether or not they are taking the best advantage of it Whether is, is recognize one sort of, it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and we, we try to get them all mentors and have just adults who are there and they care about them. They, the kids know they love them. And we're just through the, through the program, we're doing various things to just to empower them to to make their own decisions some of any any more over the years we've really made it to where there I don't make any unilateral decisions every decision I make 
has input from the adults and some of them even have the input of the students. Right. Um, and then Thursdays we have a Bible club that is for the elementary school students and some of our Tuesday night kids, they come back and they, Thursday. yep. Okay. Uh, and in the, in the future we, we would love to be able to help with food insecurities because when you're building relationships with kids, you, especially in that area, you find out about different struggles that are going on at home and you can't, especially with, you know, that donor pulling out, we, you know, we don't always have the resources to, to help with that. So being able to help with food insecurity and, and those kinds of things, that that's really what's next on our radar. It's, re- it's really important to reach the parents. And mm-hmm. if you don't have anything to reach the parents and there's, there's a, a ceiling to the, the impact that you can have with the kids. That makes sense. Yeah. The, the donor pulling out, you know, it's funny when, when you do this kind of work, I do this kind of work too. So it's pretty interesting when a donor pulls out, they always give you a reason why but you kind of have a feeling that the reason was one thing but what reason did he tell you why see that's the interesting thing uh there were no reasons given there were there were no reasons given actually the the email even though i was the the primary one doing the work the email to to let us know that the funding had been pulled i wasn't included in it Uh, but i can i have a few guesses and I'm pretty confident that high on the list was how me sharing about race. About race, right? So then, what do you then? Then are you reaching your goals with your blog? And well, I need to find out this about this blog. I need to read. But, <laughs> well, but, you know yeah. what? When you the particular blog, I think we touched on it earlier when you started. We had talked. Um, we were messaging back and forth about a particular. You were like doing a survey kind of thing about. Um, black experience in predominantly uh, white evangelical space. Um, how did all of that, what, what was like the most important things or illuminating things that you found when you were talking to however many number of people you were talking oh, you're to? You're doing about? a personal save. He was doing his own survey. Yes. Yeah, I'd asked maybe 20 to 20 to 30 people. And you, you know, it's, that's not a large... No, I say you're independent. So yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Um, but... Man, just the the thing that really stood out was just how many people, everybody had some kind of story of feeling like they had been minimized in some way, shape, or form. These are people of color? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I I would like to, well, I do have a plan plan to poll white people about church experiences sometime in the future, but but yeah, and it was, and something you said about um, what multicultural usually ends up meaning and I, I think that was probably that was probably ended up being something that just really jumped out at me is how multicultural still ends up pretty much meaning white mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that was one of those things where it was like multicultural sometimes it seems like it's the goal but then for someone who's already been there mm-hmm. and experienced it to to know that that so so it's it's it sounds like that there's still some kind of ideal that yeah. That let, we need to work ex- let me explain a little bit about what I meant by that. Oh, okay. So multicultural um, worship, which is something I absolutely love. And when I left, uh, intentionally left the black church um, as an older teenager and went over to 
integrate into predominantly white space, um, and I've spent you know most of my life in, in in those spaces. What I have understood, I think you know, multicultural worship um, has always had the absolutely best intention. Like we, you know, we want to worship like like we uh, imagine worship is like in heaven, right? Yes. With the diversity and and all of that. And so, like I totally think that's the goal. I think a lot of times what ends up happening in multicultural worship space is that we still continue to lean toward um, the majority's proclivities or what the majority likes. Mm -hmm. And so as a worship leader, to be concrete about that, as a worship leader, um, you know, I've led worship in a lot of those spaces. Um, we sing predominantly um, um white music and i and i know that's really hard for some people to keep to keep hearing white mm -hmm. and i i really don't I, I really don't mean it in a negative way right. i just simply mean it as a way of, as, as a as a way of distinction since we're talking about race mm -hmm. um so so you know you would you're comfortable with a completely um, Chris Tomlin song list, mm -hmm. and I love Chris Tomlin. Don't mm -hmm. nobody send me no email about <laughs> about Tomlin because I love him too now. But um, but you know you don't want to interject songs by Kirk Franklin or someone else, an, an Af a black person, um, and that's about preference, right? Mm -hmm. And so anytime I go into that space and decide to stay there and live there, then I I have to embrace all of your preferences. Whereas you've never asked me what I think about what what our music what it means to be multicultural in our music, for example. I mean mm -hmm. that's just that's just one one way. So um, it becomes more multiculturalism. So a lot of times becomes less about multicultural culturalism and becomes about assimilating mm -hmm. and that assimilating is, is often the minority group assimilating to the preference of the majority group that's a good definition mm -hmm. that's good that helps yeah mm -hmm. very good yeah and you you talking about the preferences and you mentioned kirk franklin specifically little side note yeah one time while lee was trying to get some black music into the worship experience the pastor at the time mentioned uh, uh, stomp uh-huh and and me and faith are like like you know kirk franklin's main music since stomp right like right. and now stomp stomp didn't even make it into the to the wow. to the oh who speaking of Speaking of worship, I, f I forget the name of the worship song. I'd have to look it up. I mentioned it in my blog one time, but one time we were there's a worship song that the the lyrics to the to the song was uh, this strange fruit hangs from a tree, and me a worship song. Mm -hmm. Me and my wife we. We look, and she, she's from New Orleans. Does she know all about it? She knows all about it. Uh, it is for the rest of that time. We were no good. We, I, I, we, we might as well just left because why? Why? It got explained. Uh, yeah, people explain don't that. understand. So, "Strange Fruit" is a song by Billie Holiday from I forget how long ago, but it's talking about uh, lynchings. This uh, it's. And it's so whenever so when we heard this song, the immediate thought in our mind was lynchings like and that is that is the vision we 
when we hear it, we go, we imagine a black body hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. And Nina we, Simone. Nina Simone, right? It, maybe, maybe they both. Maybe they they, they both, both sung it. I okay, don't okay. remember who. Okay. Uh, and what was the biblical reference in this worship song to Strange Fruit? What were they trying to reference? I would uh, imagine Jesus, Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... But those kinds of things are just kind of can be very triggering, and people just have no historical reference. And when I when I mentioned that to one of the senior leaders, it was, "Well, I'm sorry that hurt your feelings." And then that was mm-hmm. that was it. And and then and and this was there were a bunch of little things that just ended up pushing us away, but. So they didn't play it in in big worship anymore. But a few weeks later, we heard it in the in the youth service. So it really, that felt intentional that they that they just moved it to somewhere where we may we Not may not hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the the this sounds really dark. <laughs> you know, this sounds <laughs> like dang all the work we're doing and and we're still kind of experiencing that. But tell me what. Give me some encouragement. So, in your in your in all of this spaces that you navigate, you haven't run away from the space, and you clearly could do that, and you still do it. So there's got to be some hope and some encouragement involved in the work and and the things that you do. Talk to us about that. I've come across some uh, white people who, one of the volunteers in our program, she grew up in a place in Memphis called Germantown. Like she is, she will tell you. She is white, white, mm-hmm. but even even she is seeing what I'm saying, and and like, man, I I didn't know, and I think that one of the things that I always try to 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 let people know is it, it's okay if you didn't know. Like we're not no black person I know is gonna stone a white person because they didn't know about something. Uh, so I, I've had there. Are, Maybe for every five people who push, give me some pushback, there's there's a one or two who, like, man, I didn't know. Could you tell me more? Right, right. Uh, and that's the hope. Yes, yeah, right. Ron. Could, Ron, I really love this post. They may not like it, which I understand because mm-hmm. there's some optics. I get it. Uh, but man, like, I I really that right there. And then seeing the kids who are coming up now. Sometimes I feel like people give lip service to how much hope that they have in kids growing up. I genuinely believe that the the Gen Z and the kids are coming up behind us. I be, I believe that they're better than us. They the level of care that they have for each other. Uh, some of it can can be dangerous. Like I know I know one one kid was cutting himself because he he was hurting so bad for his friend. But if we can if we can hone that compassion that they have for each other, they they know about things that's going on on the other side of the world. I didn't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 they care. If if we can just help them to hone that in a safe way, mm-hmm. and work with them on that, that you know they are growing up around different types of people who I didn't. I'm sure you didn't, and th- so between the the older white people who are who are willing to listen, I'm not. I do not ask or expect anybody to agree with everything I say. I think I'd probably lose a little bit of respect for anyone who who agreed with everything. Everything you said, right? But could would you listen? I know a little bit about 
and, and, I, and that's well, we're talking about the hope. Okay, so uh, the the kid, so the kids, and then the older people who are who are willing to listen, who are willing to to change, and to it it really touches my heart when a white person even just says white privilege. Like hearing oh, yeah. somebody say that, man, yeah. it right. it touches me. Yeah, and and you under and then and then you can say you might have entered the white privilege conversation at one level, and whatever level you entered it at, I'm yeah. cool with cool. that. Yes, I'm absolutely. cool with that. The fact that that you're saying the word mm-hmm. in a in a way that we can kind of just talk about it mm-hmm. and kind of dissect it because, uh, and I think you might agree with me. I might end up in one of your posts too. But <laughs> but but <laughs> there is so much nuance to white privilege that we could not even unpack it all mm-hmm. in in one conversation, mm-hmm. right? So just somebody just entering. It's, it's hopeful, mm-hmm. at least to me. Yes. It's hopeful. It gives yeah. us a place to start, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm learning more about privilege in general. Yes. In general, and just in privilege in some. general, mm-hmm. the privilege that I carry. That's right. And then what responsibility do I have with that privilege? So right. I see, I see he brought a notebook in here. So I know, I'm like, he got stuff he going to. He's gonna drop on us, or he's taking notes about us. One or the other. Which one, one is it? Has he or wrote or the other. One I the think other. we've been pretty nice. Yeah. I think it's okay. But I know he has the gift to write, and so he. So that that that's a privilege uh, that God gave you that gift. And how do you give it back to us? So how do you serve us with it? And I see how you do it, and you've been doing it very consistently. I might add, because as soon as I saw you, I was like, I didn't recognize your name, but I've. We've been in the same oh, yeah, space sure. more than once, and mm-hmm. you just reminded me where, where we saw. So you've been serving uh, consistently, consistently, and so the fruits of that, uh, you wouldn't even be here yeah. if you, you weren't mm-hmm. that. So 100%. I really, really appreciate that. What should we be reading? What would you? What what is what is your post? What is your suggestions doing? What do you want people to know when they read your post? What do you want them to feel? And then what do you want them to do? What I want them to know is that. I I love people mm-hmm. and I I genuinely believe that r- racial race relations I, I do try to stay away from racial reconciliation because kind of kind of hard to I know what you're about to say. Yeah. I know what you're so, about to say. I know. You're trying to be so nice. Well, I bet you slay them on the blog because you are trying to be nice with your words. What you're saying is how can you have reconciliation? Reconciling is to bring back together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how can you have reconciliation Reconciliation if they've never been together? Yes. That's what you're... Okay. Yes. Yeah, I feel uh, you. So, but I, I, I believe if the if the church cannot get race relations right, it it won't happen. So, mm. and, and that's why I speak primarily to the church because that's where it has to start. Uh, so what I what I want them to feel is just com- compassion for people who are different than you. Like you, you said earlier, everyone has privilege. Uh, and I, I used to weigh over 300 pounds. I'm about 220 right now. When you're 300 pounds, you are very aware of how small every desk is at school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but then, you know, so, so my privilege as someone who's a little bit more slender might be not to pick the, the big desk, maybe pick the skinnier desk so the, so the larger person can sit there or mm-hmm. being, a little, being taller than my wife, helping get things off the cabinet, things like that. So I, I just wish that that everyone would try to 
think of the privileges that they that they know they have and just consider that you may have it in the area of race. Right. Okay, now where do you go from here? That's really good, man. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. That's a good place for us to stop, even though we could keep going. Oh, man. Okay, close us out, Cece. All right. Oh, my gosh. Ron, thank you for being with us. Um, keep doing what you're doing. And um, I would love to, in the future, um, kind of explore explore terminology more to talk we- about. Because I, I do want to deal with this matter of... Um, addressing folks as white people because that could really that could come across as very ma- marginalizing to some people, and I want to I want us to talk about that in the future. Yeah, can you direct us to the blog? I gotta read it. Like I gotta get there. Micah, the number six and eight dot com, which yeah. says, and what does the Lord require but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God? Yeah. On that note, thank you guys for listening. This is Cece Jones Davis, and I'm Waylon Cubit. And we're over here at United Voice Oklahoma Podcast just trying to find common ground for the common good. So have a good one. Thanks, Ron. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma Podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you heard, please take time to leave us a review and share it with your friends and family. It really does help us to get these conversations out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement, and is produced by OKC Good and Reese Black. For more stories promoting a healthy relationship on race in Oklahoma, follow United Voice Oklahoma on Facebook, or visit unitedvoiceok.org.